There is a line, and it's the line that ends many children's stories. It's a line that we really like. It's a line that makes us feel good. A line that makes us feel warm and, and cozy and fuzzy. It's a line that we like to read. It's the line that ends many children's stories that start with the line, once upon a time. We start those stories, and they start once upon a time, and we learn about the characters, and there's always some sort of crisis in the characters' lives, something that happens, something that dis disturbs their, their, their lives. And, and, but there's always, this builds to a climax, and there's always a resolution, and then we read the line, the line that we love to read. And that line, of course, is, and they lived, they lived happily ever after. We like that line. It makes us feel good. This idea that even though they had a challenge and even though something came up, at the end, everything was fine. And it all came together and everything worked out well. And for the rest of their days, even, for the rest of their lives, no other challenges and no other problems came their way. Law and Order was one of the most successful TV dramas of all time, and it spun off all sorts of other Law and Orders, had a bunch of Law and Order babies that some are still on. And even today, I mean, if you want to watch Law and Order, it's been off the air for a number of years. If you want to watch Law and Order, just turn on your television. I promise you, Law and Order is on on some channel 24 hours a day. It is always on today. And one of the things that we love about that show, people like about that show, is that every episode ends up in such a nice, neat package at the end. There's not a lot of discrepancy in Law & Order from episode to episode. You start, you have the problem, and a lot of TV crime dramas are like this. You, you start, you have the crime, you have the investigation, you have the trial, all within an hour, and before the TV screen says, executive producer Dick Wolf, it's all figured out, and it's all solved, and everything's right with the world, and there's a nice little ribbon tied up on the story, and, and everything works together for good, and we like that. We like everything to be wrapped up nice and neat. No romantic comedies end with the couple separated. If they did, no one would go and see it. Some of the guys in here wish they would make that romantic comedy so we don't have to go and see it. But every romantic comedy ends with the couple back together. It ends with the marriage restored. It ends with people coming back. It ends with the family happily because that's the ending we want to see. We want everything to be happily ever after. And we need the movie to stop right then and there when everybody's happy, because if the movie continued five more minutes, there'd be another problem they'd have to solve. But the movie wraps up nice and neat, and there's the problem the couple walks through. They, they go their separate ways, perhaps, and they come back together, and it's all tied up, because we like it. We like the happy ending. We want the idea that people live happily ever after. In fact, for many of us, it's why we first came to church. It's why we first started following God. Because we are hoping that somehow knowing God and following God and knowing Jesus and following Jesus will give us the happily ever after. We are promised that sometimes in the preaching and the teaching that we listen to. That if we'll come to God then we can be assured that we will have a happily 
ever after, that things will go well for us, that problems will go away and financial difficulties will go away and, and health problems will go away. We come to God, part of the reason we come to God often is because we want the happily ever after. We want things to be solved. We want things to be fixed. And so we come to God seeking that. And then there's this reality. Not everyone gets a happily ever after. In fact, even good, godly, Christ-following people sometimes don't get the happily ever after. And in our minds, we try to reconcile the fact that a good and loving God exists who wants the best for us. And the reality that good, God-fearing people that we know don't always get the happily ever after. Maybe we feel like we're the ones that aren't getting the happily ever after. We were promised. Just last week, there was a Spanish missionary who had gone to Liberia to help with the Ebola crisis. And he's one of a couple stories, but this particular missionary, he left Spain and he went to Liberia. And he was helping to care for people that are, uh, I mean, the crisis there is something I don't think we can really imagine what's really happening there. And he contracts the disease, and they take him back to Spain, and last week he passed away. What, what do we do with that? I mean, this is a man that gave his life up to the Lord and gave his life up to service. He's a missionary, and he goes to the place where people are needed the most to care for those who are in need, and he's the one who loses his life. If you've heard the stories that are coming out of Iraq right now with ISIS and the persecutions of Christians in and around the city of Mosul. It's the second largest city in Iraq. And there's about 200,000 Christians in that area. Christians have lived in that area since the time that Jesus walked the face of the earth. And now with this ISIS militant group, Christians are being given a choice. Convert to Islam, pay a tax, or die. And, and I was reading some articles just this week that said the tax piece of that is proving to be a farce that really the people that have paid the taxes still have to make the choice. Convert to Islam or die. And I don't know if you've seen the pictures or, or, or some of it's so horrific, we just won't even get into it uh, this morning in a large group. But it's terrible things are happening in and around that city as either Christians have to flee the city with hopefully their entire family and just the clothes off their back, on their back or they're being murdered by the hundreds and maybe the thousands. What do we do with that? These are Christians, people that have followed Jesus Christ, and they are not getting the happily ever after. For some of us, this is the biggest struggle we have with faith. This is the biggest struggle we have with faith. We want to believe that God is a good God. We want to believe that he is all-loving. We want to believe that he is all-powerful. But the one thing that keeps us from being willing to do that or even able to do it is that things have happened in our lives and things have happened in this world that we look at and we say to ourselves, man, if God was really good and if God was really loving, then these people over here who are good, loving people would receive a happily ever after. And because I don't see them receiving a happily ever after, the only thing that I can come, the only conclusion I can come to is that maybe God isn't as good as all-powerful as I think he is or want to think he is. And I think that, I don't think 
There's some of us in this room that haven't committed ourselves fully to this whole following Jesus business because we don't know how to reconcile that in our minds. Good God, with the fact that we are not receiving the happily ever after, we thought we should receive, or our family is not receiving it, or people close to us are not receiving it. Someone died too soon. Someone's sick who doesn't deserve to be sick. Our marriage isn't coming back together the way we thought it would. Our family still hasn't reconciled, and we're trying to put this whole thing together, that we're following God, and we're trying to be the people that God wants us to be. But we're not getting the happily ever after we thought we would. What do we do with that? Well, this morning we're going to look at the life of a man who did everything that God asked him to do. Didn't necessarily get the happily ever after that we think he should have. And, we'll, and as we talk about his story, we'll consider for ourselves what this means for our lives and what it means about the God who we serve. We're in Mark chapter 6, and we are in verse 14. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we have been talking about um, Jesus' ministry in and around the region. He's been going around and teaching with his disciples. And up until this point, everything in Mark's gospel has been very chronological. Jesus went here, and then he did this, and then he did that, and then he did that. Now this portion that we're going to look at today is something that Mark is saying, meanwhile, while Jesus was out doing that, this happened in a different part of the region. So everything that we're about to read is happening simultaneously with some of the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. In Mark 6, verse 14, Mark writes this. King Herod heard about this. The this that King Herod heard about is Jesus' ministry. So King Herod heard about Jesus' ministry and his work, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some of the people were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. So some thought Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Others said, Jesus is Elijah. And others claimed, no, Jesus is a prophet, like one of the prophets long ago. But when Herod heard about this, about Jesus' ministry, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. So let's talk about who this Herod guy is and who John is, because we haven't talked about them much before. King Herod that we read about here is different than the King Herod that we read about if you go back and read about the story when Jesus was born. It can get kind of confusing because we can read the name Herod within the Gospels in different places, but they're actually talking about different rulers. Let me briefly uh, try to explain what's happening here. We'll go to the map, and we'll, uh, and we'll talk about this. Herod the Great ruled the entire region that you see here, except for what's in green. He ruled everything that was in brown, everything that was in purple, orange, and pink. That was King Herod's land. So King Herod, in Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus was born, that Herod is Herod the Great. And maybe you remember the story. Herod the Great heard that a king was born in Bethlehem. And so he gave a decree that all the boys under two years of age should be killed. And Mary and Joseph, they went to Egypt. They went to Egypt to escape that. And then after Herod the Great died, God brought them back to Nazareth where Jesus was raised. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 2. After, king, after Herod the Great died, 
his kingdom was split up between three of his sons. So the pink portion on the map there that you see went to a na- uh, uh, one of his sons named Archelaus. The top portion, the northern portion, which is in brown on the map, went to one of his sons named Philip, who is referred to as Herod Philip, if you ever see his name. And the purple portions, the land of Galilee and the land of Perea, went to Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch. That's the Herod that we're talking about here. When Jesus was doing his ministry, the places that Jesus did most of his ministry, like Galilee, like Nazareth, all those towns that we're familiar with, they all fall within Herod the Tetrarch's rule. So even when Jesus is going to be crucified and Pilate sends him to see Herod, if you know that story, that's the Herod he goes to see, Herod the Tetrarch, the same Herod that we're talking about right here. So that's Herod. John the Baptist, John the Baptist is, is Jesus' close relative. We're not sure exactly how they related. We know from the Bible that Mary, Jesus' mother, and Elizabeth, John's mother, were relatives. It doesn't specify how they were relatives. It just says they were related. And so we know John and Jesus are somehow related. Before John was born, and this is all in the, in the Gospel of Luke, before John was born, an angel came to his father, Zechariah. And an angel came and said to Zechariah, and I'll paraphrase here. Do you remember the Old Testament uh, announcement, Zechariah, that, there would be co- there, that one would come who would prepare the way for the Messiah? Your son, John, who is not yet conceived, is going to be the one who paves the way for the Messiah. He's going to go ahead of the Messiah, and he's going to teach, and he's going to preach, and he's going to do all of this work to prepare the way for the Messiah who will come after him. And so the angel makes this announcement to Zechariah. John, more than most people who have walked the face of the earth, has an amazing call on his life. The angelic visit is unusual. My wife is about to have our second child. We may have to run out of here mid-sermon. We'll see. My wife is about to have our second child. Our child, I believe, is going to be special and have a special call on his or her life when they are born. As of yet, no angelic visit, okay? (laughs) But still special and a special call. So imagine how special it is for John that an angel of the Lord would come to his father before he's conceived and give him this mission. And the thing we read about John is that John goes out and does his mission well. Sometimes you read about people in the Bible that God gives them a mission and they kind of mess it up a little bit. Not John. We don't read about that with John. He goes out and does it well. And so this is what happens to John. In verse 16, Herod says, when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, had been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Here's what took place. 
One day Herod, the Tetrarch, went to his brother's house, Philip. Not the Philip that ruled the northern kingdom that was in Brown, a different Philip. His dad, uh, Herod the Great, ran out of names and just started recycling them. He had a different brother, Philip, who lived in Rome and who was married to a woman named Herodias. Herod, the Tetrarch, was married to the daughter of the king of the kingdom to his south. So he was married and his brother Philip was married. Herod traveled off to Rome to stay with his brother Philip. And while he was there, he convinced Herodias to come and marry him and move back to Galilee and Perea. So he stole his brother's wife and he got rid of his current wife and divorced her so then he could marry his brother's wife. We're all on the same page that John should have a problem with this, right? We're all, we're all with John. This is a problem. I think even in today's world, we have probably different morals, and, and our morals keep, in my opinion, getting corroded. Uh, but even in today's world, I think everyone who would hear of this story, two guys married to another woman, his brother's married to another woman, he travels to his house and steals his wife and divorces his wife so he can marry his brother's wife. It's very daytime television-ish, and we would all have a problem with it. And John had a problem with it, and it's his job to speak out. I mean, it was against God's law. God's law in the book of Leviticus says don't marry your brother's wife while he was, he's alive. It says that in those words in Leviticus 19. So John had a problem with it on a godly level, and John had probably had a problem with it on a political level, and John probably had a problem with it on, on any sort of level you can think of. And so he spoke out against it. And Herodias, the one who had left Philip to marry Herod, she didn't like that at all. And, you know, Herod was married to the, king, the, to the daughter of the ruler to his south. And that was a, a region called Nepatia, and it doesn't exist today. But in that time, they had a strong army. So Herod doesn't want John riling everybody up because he divorced the daughter of the king to the south. And Herodias doesn't want people, you know, John talking about her because she doesn't want to lead TMZ every night or something. And so, and so it's, you know, they, they put him in prison to stop him talking. And then this happens. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, probably about 12 years old. And this was not a ballet recital, right? We understand that. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me anything you want, and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Must have been some dance. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? Herodias said, the head of John the Baptist. At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. What do we do with that? And here's the reality of John's story. John had a special call on his life. A special call on his life. So special that an angel came and visited his father. 
and said, you have a job that was written about hundreds of years ago in the book of Isaiah to fulfill. This child will be special, Zechariah. And sure enough, he is born and he does everything that God asks him to do. We have no stories of John the Baptist going off the beaten path and turning his back on God. He does what God asks him to do, lives in the desert, does the preaching, does the the speaking, speaks out against the rulers when they disobey God, does everything that God wants him to do. We would expect that for a man who did everything that God wanted him to do, that he would get some sort of happily ever after, that God would intervene. And like some of the stories we read in the book of Acts, that the gates of the prison would be thrown open and John the Baptist would walk out a free man and he would spend the rest of his days retired in Europe with his wife and he would live the days just happily ever after. But the reality of John's story is that while he's sitting in prison, this henpecked, weak, miserable ruler who gets so excited by a 12-year-old sensual dance that he can't even control himself and says in front of his guests that he will give her whatever she wants up to half his kingdom, then executes a man he doesn't want to execute because he's so afraid of what his dinner guests are going to think about him. That's how John's story ends. It's not even a proper execution. It's this whole, you know, just dirty mess that John's up involved in. And this sick, weak ruler who would allow himself to be influenced in this way. And he even says that he didn't even want to kill John, that he respected John because he was so afraid of his wife and so afraid of his guests and so afraid of everybody and trying to keep everybody happy. And so, you know, just caught up in this moment that he makes this dumb request to the girl that he'll give her whatever she wants up to half his kingdom. you got to be kidding me. And, and then she, he has to kill John. What do we do with that? It's not even close to happily ever after. And I know for many of us, this is our biggest struggle with the faith. This is our biggest struggle when it comes to God. Is that God lets these sorts of things happen. That people who do exactly what God wants them to do, sometimes don't get the happily ever after. And we would think that everyone deserves that. And some of us are stopping ourselves from following God and from following Jesus Christ because we know the stories of the people who didn't get the happily ever after. Our family member died before they should have. Just things are not going well. We're still struggling financially. And that happily ever after that we feel like we deserved and are promised just isn't coming. And so we are stopping ourselves from following God the way that God would ask us to because we just can't get it all straight in our mind how God would allow this stuff to happen if he's so good. You know what's interesting to me about this story is that if John wanted to get out of this, I think he could have. If you read this story in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew in chapter 11, tells a little piece that Mark doesn't talk about here. John was sitting in prison, and he called one of his followers over to him, through the, through the window, got a message to him somehow, and he said, go to Jesus and just say to Jesus, are you the real Messiah or is someone else coming? 
You can see the wheels turning in John's head. He's sitting in prison. He's thinking to himself, if Jesus is the Messiah, why am I here? Why am I in jail if Jesus is the Messiah and I'm supposed to be out there blazing the trail for him? And so he sends, gets a message to his follower, says, go to Jesus and ask Jesus if he's the Messiah or if we're supposed to wait for somebody else. And the messenger goes to Jesus and Jesus, uh, he says a little bit differently than this, but basically says, yes, I'm the Messiah, go tell John. The message gets back to John, this is the Messiah, and you can say, all right, you can see John in prison saying, all right, then let's do this. Herod liked John. Liked him. Enjoyed listening to him. If John would have just shut his mouth, maybe apologized. I'm sorry that I made such a big deal about this. Your business is your business, and I'll just keep quiet. Just go on and and do whatever you'd like, Herod, and I'll stay over with the religious people, and we'll be fine. I think he might have had a shot of getting out of this. Herod liked him. But when he knew Jesus was the Messiah, when he got that confirmation, I, I, I would guess that John sitting in that prison said, all right, then let's go through with this. Let's see it all the way to the end. So why would John stay? Why would he stay and walk through this? Because I think John knew something that we often forget. I think John remembered something that we so often forget. In 1809, a young boy was born to parents named Thomas and Nancy. He grew up very poor, didn't have much. And he decided to start a business. And the business failed. And he decided to start another business, and that business failed. And then he had what, if he lived today, we would say is a nervous breakdown. And then he regrouped himself and said, I'll run for Congress and lost. And he said, I'll run for Senate and lost. He said, well, I'll run for Senate again and lost. And then he ran for vice president and lost. And in everything that that person did, we would say, not really happily ever after there. But the story wasn't over yet. And in 1860, Abraham Lincoln became the 16th president of the United States and is one of our greatest leaders. 2004 American League Championship Series. (laughs) Your Boston Red Sox were down three games to nothing to the New York Yankees. In fact, they had lost game three, 18 to nine. 100 years of baseball, more than 100 years of baseball, no team had ever come back from a three-to-nothing deficit in a seven-game series. And in the ninth inning of the fourth game, the Red Sox were losing four to three in the ninth inning. And the greatest relief pitcher of all time, Mariano Rivera, was on the mound. Justin Joseph's here. I know big Yankees fan. Do you remember this game, Justin? Do you remember this? <laughs> <laughs> you can leave if you have to. <laughs> There's no happily ever after there. But the story wasn't over yet. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to walk on the face of this earth. To teach, to heal, to begin the ministry. 
And he died a death, not because he did something horribly wrong, but because people didn't like him in power. The people that had the religious power didn't want to give it up. And so all these people that had followed him, all these people that had heard him, all these people that had been healed by him, all these people that were coming to him, watched him as he hung on the cross and died and breathed his last breath, and they put him in a tomb. And from all the Bible stories that we know and read, the reaction of everybody was complete distress and distraught, even the disciples that were closest to him, because they all expected the happy ending to come. And rather than getting the happy ending, they received the most depressing ending that they could ever imagine, that the one that they had been following, the one that they thought was their liberator, the one that they thought was their Messiah, died a death that was completely horrific and unjust. But the story wasn't over yet. It wasn't over yet. And three days later, when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and proved that he alone has power over sin and death, they realized that the story was continuing. And the story that is written in this book is not over yet. It is not over yet. There is still more to come. There are things that are written here that are not yet fulfilled. And Jesus Christ is coming again, and he is going to set everything right. And we make the mistake, we make the mistake of thinking that when life ends here, the story is over. And so if life ends badly here, we think that that's it, that the person did not receive the happily ever after. But the reality is the story is not over yet. John's story was not over when he was beheaded because the lost his life here. He arose in heaven and began his life there. And in Jesus Christ, we may not be promised a happily ever after here, but we are promised a heavenly after, after ever there, that we will wake up and be in his presence and spend an eternity with him. The story is not over when it ends here. And we forget. We forget. We forget. We forget. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that when something goes wrong here, that it's all over. And I want to encourage you today that if you feel like you're not getting that happily ever after that you were promised, if you know people close to you that aren't getting the happily ever after you think they deserve, in Jesus Christ, the story is not over yet. And so where that might be stopping you from giving your whole heart to Jesus Christ, where that might be stopping you from turning your entire life over to God, I would encourage you in this moment to know that the only way that your story doesn't end in this world is to turn your life over to him, is to turn your heart over to him, to follow him, and to know that even when it ends badly here, that there is a life that's just beginning on the other side for eternity in heaven. That Spanish missionary who passed away, his story isn't over yet. He's living for eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. Those Christians, those brothers and sisters in Iraq that are being slaughtered and murdered, their story isn't over 
over yet. They're waking up in heaven. They're spending an eternity with Jesus Christ. And for us, as long as we know Jesus, as long as we're in him, no matter what happens here, our story isn't over yet. I'm going to invite our worship team back to the stage. And I just want to take a minute with you and think about this. I'd invite you, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes. You know, some of us this morning might be in a similar place that, that John was. Maybe there's something that we feel like we need to stand up for or speak out against. Maybe there's something that we feel like in our families or in business, perhaps, or just in this world, we feel like we need to stand up and say something, but we're not doing it because we're afraid it's going to wind up with our story not ending well. It's going to wind up with us being hurt. It's going to wind up with us having to suffer in some way. And so we keep quiet. Just be reminded. In Christ, this is not all we have. This is not our home. It's just where we live. We are just passing through. That our real home does not lie here. And that the whole reason we come to Christ is because we realize that this place is so broken and fallen and sinful that there is no reconciliation here, that there is no redemption here, that the only redemption that can come is outside of this world. Be reminded where you're discouraged that there is a heaven waiting for you, that if you would remain faithful to Jesus Christ and following him, there is an eternity with him that is waiting. For those of us here this morning who have not yet put our trust in Jesus Christ, who have not yet followed God, the only way you can have the assurance that your story can continue is if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, this world is pretty much all that you have. Otherwise, when this world ends, you'll spend an eternity apart from God, not with him. And so rather than stopping the sinfulness and the brokenness and the pain of this world from having you follow a good and loving God, let the sin and the brokenness and pain of this world push you towards that loving God who wants to redeem you, who wants to save you, who wants you to spend an eternity with him. And I would encourage you in your heart right now to say that directly to him. To in your heart say, dear God, I'm sorry for the wrongs that I've done. I want to follow you with all that I have. I want you to take control of my life. And I look forward to that day that I see you and live with you in eternity. And God, for all of us, Thank you that our story is not over here when we're in you. Thank you that the promise of Jesus Christ is that when the sun sets on this earth, uh, the, the sun is rising in eternity. Lord, that we are able to spend an eternity with you because of your goodness to us and because of your mercy to us and because of your grace to us. Thank you that this world is not all that we have. Thank you that our story is not over in this place. And thank you for the example of people like John who knew that to be true and who would stand up to you in the face of death 
stand up for you in the face of death. Looking not for happiness here, but happiness in your presence in eternity. God, help us to live like that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close and let's worship our God together.